Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus uh, or from the warehouse or chapel or online or a podcast, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you guys are on board today. And I want to wish everybody happy holidays. We've got Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we're celebrating that. We're celebrating a uh, tropical storm uh, and Pentecost Sunday. So we just got all kind of things to be excited about. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more uh, in a minute. You know, uh, in my non-best-selling book, in one of the first <laughs> chapters, I tell the story about a guy named Gideon who is, uh, is this guy that's, he's afraid, he feels insignificant, he feels like his life doesn't really matter, he feels trapped, he feels stuck. And an angel of the Lord comes and gives him a prophetic word, a word from God himself. He says basically, Gideon, I know this is what you think you are, but God says you are a mighty warrior. And he calls him to his destiny. And it's not a destiny that Gideon feels in and of himself is correct, accurate, or could be attained. But ultimately, we see Gideon do just things that he never knew or probably never could do on his own, a prophetic word from God. Fast forward to the life of Jesus, and uh, we see Jesus communicating with his disciples. And there's this one that's uh, quick on the trigger says stuff now, thinks about it later, um, is quick to volunteer, slow to follow through. Nobody can depend on him. And his name uh, is Simon, which means reed blown in the wind. And Jesus looks at him and he speaks a prophetic word straight from the mouth of God into this disciple. And he says, you've been known as Simon you're now going to be known as Peter Petros Rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And sure enough, we have a man who's transformed and accomplishes and achieves more than he thought that he could. You fast forward just a little bit further, and you see Paul talking to one of his young protégés, a guy named Timothy. And Timothy is a pastor of a significant church, but he's younger than just about everybody in the church. And he feels like he lacks in wisdom. Uh, he feels like if he corrects some of the older men or women that uh, it'll, be, um, it'll be taken wrong. And he just, he just can't fulfill what his God-given destiny is for him. And Paul looks at him and he speaks into him and he says, Timothy... God hasn't given you this spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Don't be intimidated by your youth. You remember when we laid hands on you that there were certain gifts that were conveyed to you. And apparently, he received this prophetic word and it called him forth to his destiny in God. Now, here's my question. Does that still happen today? I mean, is it possible that you or I can 
can, can look into a, a family member or a small group member or someone in the church or somebody at work and we can actually speak a prophetic word from the lips of God that will change the course of their destiny, if not just for that day, maybe for a lifetime. Does that still happen today? That's what we're going to talk about just a little bit. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but that's, that's one of the things that I really want to na- narrow in on. Um, we're in a study from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 called Love Is, and my assignment today is uh, verses 10 through, or actually verses 8 through 10, which actually asks that very same question, and uh, we, we want to talk about it just a little bit. But I want to talk about it in context of Pentecost Sunday. Uh, m- many of us were not even aware uh, this week that this was any different Sunday, that this is a Sunday called Pentecost Sunday, which is celebrated by churches all over the world, never celebrated by Seacoast, really, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes and why that changes. Uh, but let me give you a little history and background into uh, what Pentecost Sunday and Pentecost is all about. Um, the, the, the Jewish faith uh, w- was an eating faith. I mean, I would have fit very well into that whole deal. They're always eating some, you know what I mean? You got this meal on Friday night, it's about a three-hour meal together, and then there are all these feasts in the Old Testament, and three of these feast celebrations are actually pilgrimage feasts, which means that a group of people, oftentimes just men, but sometimes whole families, make the pilgrimage from wherever they are, wherever they happen to be scattered throughout the known world at the time, to Jerusalem, in order to celebrate at the temple um, whatever the, uh, the, the feast of the, of the day was. And there were, there were three of them that were actually, uh, during any one year, a pilgrimage feast. There was the Feast of Tabernacles, which was September or October. It kind of correlated to the harvest, and, it, and it, it celebrated God leading Israel in a tabernacle in the Old Testament, remember? And kind of the deal that they did, it was just kind of like a giant camp out. You know, everybody got to go out in a tabernacle and sleep in a tabernacle and feel what it was like to be out kind of nomads, and it celebrated God in that way. Second one was the Passover, and the Passover we're more familiar with, March or April of every year, and it celebrates the liberation uh, of Israel from uh, Egypt, and uh, it's this big meal, this big Passover meal, and it's kind of the the, the beginning point uh, to the Lord's table that we celebrate together today. And then the third one was the Festival of Weeks. And it was called Pentecost because it was seven weeks or 50 days after Passover. You know when Passover is? Just count seven weeks later, 50 days, 50 Pentecost. So it was the Feast of of uh, uh, Festival of Weeks, or the first day was called Pentecost, and it celebrated the giving of the law, the Torah, uh, to Moses. And, and uh, so, just to kind of put it together, Jesus was crucified on um, j- just before Passover started. We think that a day starts, you know, when the sun comes up in the morning, or you know, twelve midnight, twelve o one is the next day, right? This this day started at twelve o one this morning, but in the Jewish culture. Uh, the, the day started at sundown. And so Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Passover was Friday at sundown. And Jesus was buried on Saturday, and then he rose again on Sunday, which we celebrate as Easter Sunday. And interestingly enough, to nobody but me, um, this year, those two dates, Passover and Easter, correlated exactly the same as they did when Jesus was born. 
Say, don't they always? Well, no, you've got Passover as kind of a, a shifting holiday, and Easter we know as a shifting holiday. It's not the same day every week or every year. This year, they happened at exactly the same time as they did 2,000 years ago. Friday was Passover, Sunday was Easter. And so, and so uh, Jesus, of course, rose from the dead, and then it says that he appeared to his disciples for 40 days. I'll, I'll read a scripture about that. It says, during the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he has promised, as I told you before. Acts 1, 3. So Jesus says, 40 days, he's meeting with various people. He didn't, you know, wasn't in secret. He met with at least 500 people. And he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I don't want you to leave there because you're going to receive the gift that the Father promised. So they're in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, many of us believe that they were actually on the steps of the temple. I sat on the steps of the temple just a few weeks ago where very possibly they were, it says that they were in an upper room. Uh, the temple was referred to as an upper room. It may have been right there, uh, probably the only place in Jerusalem where a crowd as big as you're going to read about in just a minute would hear what went on. They're there on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. You've got all of these Jewish people from various parts of the known world that are coming for this great festival, and something happens. And uh, so, so I want to read the next scripture on your outline sheet, but I, I'm not going to read it in a normal way. I asked some of my friends to read it in a unique way, which might have been similar to how it happened 2,000 years ago. So take a look at this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Ineens kwam er uit de hemel een geluid als van een geweldige windvlaag en vulde het hele huis waar zij gezeten waren. En er vertoonden zich aan hen tongen als van vuur die zich verdeelden en het zette zich op ieder van hen. En ze werden alle vervuld met de heilige geest en begonnen met andere tongen te spreken zoals de geest het hun gaf uit te spreken. O günler de Kudüs'te dünyanın her yerinden gelmiş dindar Yahudiler yaşıyordu. Sesin duyulması üzerine büyük bir kalabalık toplandı ve herkes kendi dilinin konuşulduğunu duyunca şaşırdı. הם נתמלאו תימהון ופליאה ואמרו, הרי כל המדברים האלה גלילים, ואיך כל אחד מאיתנו שומע בשפת מולדתו. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. De Crete et d'Arabie, certains sont nés juifs, et d'autres se sont convertis à la religion juive. Et pourtant, nous les entendons parler dans nos diverses langues des grandes œuvres de Dieu. Ils étaient tous remplis d'étonnement et ne savaient plus que penser. Ils se disaient les uns aux autres, « Qu'est-ce que cela signifie ?» Einige aber spotteten, sie haben doch nur zu viel getrunken. Da erhob sich Petrus mit den anderen elf Aposteln und rief der Menge zu. Hört hier, ihr jüdischen Männer und ihr Einwohner von Jerusalem. Ich will euch erklären, was hier geschieht. Ye logo ne sharab ni piyuhi, kyunke subah ke bas no baje hain. Nein, ye cheezein wo hain, jiske baare mein nabi Joel ne batayin thi hame. Sucederá que en los últimos días, dice Dios, derramaré mi espíritu sobre todo el género humano. Los hijos y las hijas de ustedes profetizarán, tendrán visiones los jóvenes y sueños los ancianos. 
En esos días derramaré mi espíritu aún sobre mis siervos y mis siervas y profetizarán. So you get the story. You've got these basically Galilean, because that's where Jesus did most of his ministry, Jews who are not, you know, world educated and linguistics. You know, you, you couldn't just go to the college right there in Galilee and, and get, or, or get, what, what is the little programs you buy that teach you other languages, whatever it is? Rosetta Stone, that's it. It wasn't there then. And so, and so you've got these, these uneducated Galileans, all of these Jews coming from all over the world that came to the temple area, and they hear these guys speaking in their own language and speaking well. It may have been that you had one person over here, like these five people in the front row, and this one speaking one language, and that one speaking another. Or it may have been just one person speaking, and, and they heard it all in their own language. But however it happened, it happened. They said, this is amazing. This is incredible. They said, these guys must be drunk. And uh, Peter said, no, they're not like some seacoasters. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> they're not drinking yet, okay? Just Memorial Day. They're not drinking And, uh, and, and then he goes on and he says, this is what was prophesied by Joel, that your young men and your young women, your sons and daughters, are going to prophesy, and your old men are going to dream dreams. And in that moment, here's what happened. The church was born, because Peter continues to preach a message, and at the end of the chapter it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. They were all baptized. It had been incredible. It had taken all day, except for there were baptismal places everywhere at the temple. If you've ever been there, you see ritual baptism places. They just filled them up, baptized them, and 3,000 people were added in that day. And all the believers then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. The church was born. And today, Pentecost Sunday celebrates that around the world. Traditionally, churches celebrate with the color red, representing the flames of, of fire. Um, priests oftentimes wear red uh, kind of gowns and stuff, and I'm not, uh, I don't have any of those. Uh, those are pretty cool, so I bought a red shirt. And, uh, and they, they decorate with red flowers. Some churches in Italy actually have red, uh, we, we might do this next year, this is such a cool idea, but red uh, uh, rose petals that fall from the ceiling at a certain time during the service that represent the flames of fire that happened in the, uh, on, on that day. In the Middle Ages, cathedrals in Europe were fitted with Holy Ghost holes uh, in the architecture, so it had room for the Holy Ghost to come in and fill the place. That would just freak some American Christians out because they don't want the Holy Ghost in their church. You know, I mean, that's just... It's like the crazy uncle that comes out. They don't want, they don't want that. Uh, interestingly enough, um, evangelicals, which we would probably be classified as, generally ignore the holiday. Especially, interestingly enough, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We never ce celebrated Pentecost Sunday. Uh, go figure. More emphasis is given to secular Mother's Day than to the birthday of the church. I'm not putting down Mother's Day. I talked to you about that a couple of weeks ago. But we emphasize that more than the birthday of the church. Well, I want to tell you something. Today, that changes at Seacoast. Uh, for, uh, we've been going for 24 years. For the next 24 years, we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be a cool holiday every year as we celebrate the church. That'd be a good opportunity to give the Lord a hand. Sound good?
All right. Now, Pentecost Sunday is an excellent time to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it just so happens to correlate with our series. Like I said, today's part eight uh, of the Love Is series, and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. Actually, we're all going to read it. In the campuses, wherever you happen to be, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13 and verses 8 through 10, which is our text for today. Okay? Let's read it out loud. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So in that scripture, Paul alludes to three gifts of the Holy Spirit, three miraculous gifts. He alludes to prophecy, he alludes to words of knowledge, and he alludes to tongues. And he says this about those. He says, those will pass away someday. Those will pass away someday. Now, let's go back. He's doing this 2,000 years ago. He's talking to the Corinthian church. And so, it, one of two things. He, they may have already passed away. Because to them, if he's talking to them, and he said they'll pass away someday, they could have passed away already before our time, right? So it could have been sometime then, or it could be sometime in the future. And we'll examine that in just a minute. But he said, they won't be necessary anymore. There will come a time, those types of miraculous gifts, and you could include healings in there, will not be necessary anymore. Then he says, but there will be one fruit of the Spirit, love, that will always be necessary. It will last forever. It will never pass away. And so, so I want to talk about that. And so, some of you today, honestly, you're stuck. You're stuck kind of like um, Gideon. Or maybe stuck in kind of your crazy ways like Peter. Or maybe feeling inferior to kind of what you've got to do like Timothy. And I believe that some of the things we're going to teach today may very well be a key to getting unstuck. So kind of have that in mind as we talk a little bit. What I want to do, simple message, although we're going to go kind of deep theologically. But we'll make it uh, uh, a little bit of... Uh, honey with your medicine makes it goes well. So we'll try to put a little bit of honey with it. But uh, I, I want to just get, uh, talk about spiritual gifts in light of 1 Corinthians uh, 13.8. And I want to just ask three questions. What are they? Which ones will cease to exist? And when will that happen? And what should my attitude, we're going to have some take-homes at the end. What, what are my attitude, what should be my attitude about spiritual gifts? So let's jump in. What are they? Spiritual gifts are not natural talents. They're not just something I'm good at. Man, you're good at, you know, that. Well, that, that's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift are a special ability, a supernatural grace from God. You may get good at it, but it's something that God gives you supernaturally that helps you in the mission that God has called you to. It's kind of like tools in your toolbox. I used to not own a toolbox, and then I went out and bought one. Now, this is my toolbox. And you might laugh about how small my toolbox is. It's good to buy a small toolbox. That way people won't ask you to do big things, okay? So that's why I have a small toolbox. Now, I'm not very handy, but because I'm the father of the house, I'm often asked to do things that nobody else wants to do. We've moved several times in our lifetime, and then we have four kids and, you know, dozens of grandkids, and so they all move around. And it seems like whenever they move... They all ask me to do this. 
which is a mini blind. These are of the devil. Okay? They're not, they're not as bad as a ceiling fan, but they're close. Okay? They're very, very close. Now, this used to frustrate me to no end. Just the other day, one of the kids moved, and they said, would you put a mini blind up in the, in the bathroom? And I said, sure, I can do that. It used to be really a problem because mini blinds come with this. I'm just going to give you a little lesson here. You put up two of these, and they screw in with these right here. And then these are supposedly just snap right in there, and everything works great. Here's the problem. You're short, number one. And then, and then you have a screwdriver, and you get this thing like this, and then it's kind of made for skinny screwdrivers, and it doesn't work, and you, you can't get it in there, and so you improvise. And when you improvise, it gets bad because it goes in crooked. And when it goes in crooked, it misses the... This sounds like a commercial. When it goes in crooked, it misses the stud, which you're, you're concerned about at first, but then after a while, you really don't care. And then... And then you get it partially way in and it hits a piece of metal and it won't go any further. And when it won't go any further, you can't get that in and that's when you use naughty words. It just does. <laughs> you close the bathroom door so nobody will hear you and you get frustrated and you declare that, let's go buy those paper ones that you just kind of, you, you've seen those that you kind of put up. But what I did was, knowing that I had to do that, I bought two to tools that made my life wonderful. Uh, one of them was a drill right here, and the other was this long uh, little screwdriver. That is the best thing in the world. You need to go out today and buy one of these right here because they're very helpful. And so the other day, I had to do this. I had the right tools. I went in, zip, 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 and it was no more than 15 or 20 minutes that I got these things up. Now, I put them up the wrong way, so I had to redo it, but it didn't take very long. <laughs> That's a true story. It didn't take very long, but, but the right tools made the job fairly easy. Well, here's the truth. God has jobs for you. God has specific work for everybody in this place. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10, says, For we are God's handiwork. In other words, he created us. We are his handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus for what? So we can sit and soak. No, so we can do good works. He, he's about restoration. He wants to use you to restore what's been destroyed in whatever area that you happen to be. And so he's created you to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And here's the principle. To attempt to do the work that God has created you to do with the wrong tools or without tools at all will be frustrating for you. You'll never have fulfillment. You'll never accomplish what God has for you in the works that he has for you. And so, and, and so he's given you tools, and, and, he, and they're called spiritual gifts. Key verse on spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians 12, and verses 1 and then verse 7. It's on your outline sheet. It says, now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, seacoasters, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Let me point out three things about that that's important to each one of us. Number one, God doesn't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. In, in one version, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
God doesn't want you, there's no excuse. He says, there is no excuse for you not to know about spiritual gifts. Don't hide from them, don't run from them. This is so important. They are the tools that will help you accomplish the work that he has for you and make it so much easier. So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Second thing he says is that everybody has at least one. Everybody in this place has at least one supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing that he says is that they are given for the common good. They're given so that the whole thing works. They're given not just for you individually, but so that you can build up, so that you can encourage, so that you can comfort the church, whatever part of the church that you are. They're given up, or they're given so that you can build up one another. And what are they? There are several lists of them. Romans chapter 12 has a list. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, has a couple of lists. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. I won't go through all of them, but there are things like teaching and leadership and generosity and mercy and serving, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healing, on and on and on and on. In fact, most theologians believe that it's not even an inclusive list. In other words, you could take all of the lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament and you wouldn't have them all. It's an ongoing thing. God is creative. There are all kinds of new situations that come up. And God is able to create new and, and dynamic ways to deal with them. And so the list is, is, is unlimited, but there are gifts, spiritual gifts. How do you receive them and when do you receive them? It says that they are a work or a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So when do you receive the Holy Spirit? When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Because that's when you get the gifts. Um, at the end of every one of our services, I'll usually say something like, you know what, if you're, not, if you're not a member of the family of God, God has drawn you here, he's called you, and he wants you to be a part of his family. And kind of the, the entry point to the family of God is belief, is to believe that God loves you, to believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you didn't have to pay the penalty for your own sin. And if you'll just believe that, then you can become a part of God's family forever. And here's what happens. When you say yes, don't have to be here anywhere. When you acknowledge and, and you say, God, I just want to follow you. I want to be a part of your family. You're honest in your heart. Then God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, guides, directs, teaches, all this kind of cool stuff. At that moment, you're born again. You become a believer, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he deposits gifts inside of you. So it's a part of the family, and that's when we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, sometimes you'll notice right away, or there's something right away, or sometimes it'll be years and there'll be a situation, and, and suddenly there'll be a prompting or something will happen, and you'll, you'll realize there's a gift that I never really, uh, never really knew that, that I had, and we nurture them, and, and we get better at using them. So that's kind of what spiritual gifts are. Now, let's go specifically to the verse that's for today, and let's ask this question. When will they cease to exist? There seems to be an expiration date, at least for some of the gifts. Let's go back and read it again. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. When does that happen? Has it already happened? Will it happen sometime in the future? The next two verses kind of give the reasons why those miraculous gifts will pass away. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, 
But when completeness comes, circle completeness comes. When completeness comes, circle that on your outline sheet. When completeness comes, what is in part disappears. It says there's coming a time, we know right now in part, there's coming a time when completeness will come. And when completeness comes, we will know in full. And so we won't need the incomplete things, right? These are God's way of speaking to us. We will know completely God's will and, uh, in our lives. Now, there's two views, theologically, and here's where we're going to dive a little bit deep for just a few minutes. There's two views on when that happens. One is called um, um, cessationism. Say cessationism together. Yeah, I was close. All right. And, and what, that, what that means is cessationists say that those gifts go away when the Scripture is complete. Some say that it refers to the future day from when Paul spoke this, the future day when the canon of Scripture is closed. You, you need to understand. When we have a Bible, you go to version. you've got a Bible, or you've got an analog Bible that you carry around with you. Um, uh, if you would have been living during the time that 1 Corinthians was written, what would your Bible consist of? What would it consist of? Think about this. 2,000 years ago, you're sitting there, Paul's talking to you, you're a Christian, you're in the Corinth church, you have a Bible, what would your Bible be? It would be the Old Testament. be the Old Testament. That was the canon of Scripture, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, okay? So, um, a few years later, after the apostles have written what they've written and they've died, um, letters like the letter to the Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians and those had been passed around in the church. And so the church fathers agreed that certain ones were, were divinely inspired. They were the canon of Scripture. I'm not going to go through a whole teaching on how they came to that or anything like that. But just know that what we have as the Bible, New Testament, they didn't have as a New Testament then. It was just some letters being passed around. And so people who are cessationists say this. They say that when the canon of Scripture for the New Testament came together, that's when those gifts weren't needed anymore. In fact, I'll read a quote from one of them. It says, when Scripture is completed, then the church will have revelation thoroughly suited to her condition on earth. Our completed Bible is perfect in the sense that it is utterly sufficient revelation for all of our needs. Paul is saying, when the sufficient comes, the inadequate and partial will be done away with. Tongues will vanish away. Knowledge and prophecies will cease at the time that the New Testament is finished. Uh, people like John MacArthur, you may have read some of his stuff, or conservative Baptists or the Reformed churches um, believe that when the perfect or complete has come, refers to the New Testament coming. Um, it says that there are some spiritual gifts that last further than that, leadership and administration and, and uh, mercy and things like that. But the revelation gifts and the miracle gifts won't be necessary anymore because we will have God's revelation and we will know God didn't work miracles anymore, at least in that sense. Now, is that what Paul meant? There's another point of view, and that's the continuationism. Say that word, continuationism. That's close. And it says this, that the perfect is when Christ returns. When Christ, it's not when the canon of Scripture comes together. It's when Christ returns. Now, let's look at the Bible and kind of see if we can get some clues to whether that one's right or not. 
Compare verse 10 that we just read with verse 12, two verses later in 1 Corinthians. It says this, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections on a mirror. Understand, when they're talking about mirror, it's probably a piece of metal that's shined pretty good. They say you look in a mirror, looks kind of right, but if the mirror's bent or there's scratches, you don't get quite the, the picture. They say we see things like that now. We just don't understand everything. We see puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, then, when, when is then? It's when the complete comes. Then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. So there's coming a time when I'm going to know everything completely. Just as God knows me completely, I'm going to have full knowledge on everything. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like that happens when the canon of Scripture is closed or when Jesus comes in the second coming and we know God face to face? Okay. Let me, let me give you one more clue. In 1 John um, chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Again, talking about when Christ appears, we will see clearly. So, here's what I think. I think that Paul is saying that prophecies, tongues, knowledge will, will pass away, not when the New Testament is complete, but when this age is completed with the second coming. Then we won't have to, you know, it's not, not like if God wants to speak to us, he doesn't speak to us through prophecies and scripture and this, that, and the other. We'll, it'll be face to face. But until then, we need these gifts of the Spirit in order to have God help us to do the work that we're doing, to build one another up, okay? So that's my case for that. So let's, let's go number three. Number three is this, what should my attitude be? What should my attitude be on this Pentecost Sunday towards spiritual gifts? Let's look at uh, next verse, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. Read this one out loud. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. What does he say? He says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Why is prophecy so big? Because people understand it. And because it can make a major, major impact in someone's life. Uh, I was, uh, just the other day I was talking to a pastor, a new friend. And uh, we were talking about some European connections and stuff. And, and he said he went to visit several ministries that he didn't know them. But uh, he had appointments to go. And, and what he would do is the night before he'd go in and meet somebody, he'd ask God, God, give me, a, give me an encouraging word. Give me a prophetic word for this leader that I can kind of deposit so that we'll build him up and it will also show him that, you know, maybe God speaks through us and that this is a partnership that we can flow in. And so he said he did that and he'd go to this one and he'd have, you know, just a word of encouragement, uh, you know, God's doing good things or whatever. And he'd have a specific word. And the night before he went in to see this one guy, he said, Lord, give me a, give me a prophetic word. Believed in the gift for today. Give me a prophetic word. And, uh, and he said, the Lord said to him, in whatever way he speaks to him, he said, tell him that he swallowed a frog. 
Come again? Tell him that he swallowed a frog. It's like, hey, how is that uplifting? Well, see, it's not the job of that, the one that gives the word to figure out what the word's about. It's a supernatural thing. And so I said, well, how did that work out for you? And he said, well, I went in and I sat down. I'm thinking, God, I'm not going to do this. Well, I want to be obedient to you. I'll just listen. And so they talked and talked. And pretty soon, the guy told him about speaking at a conference not long ago. And he said, well, what did you speak about? And he said, well, I spoke about frogs. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you know, when, when Moses took the children of Israel out of the promised land, or into the promised land, out of Egypt, and it, the plague of the frogs, he said, I did a great message on that. It really went over well. My friend said, is that right? Well, the Lord told me, I prayed for a prophetic word for you, and here's what the Lord told me. You swallowed a frog. He looked at him like he was the craziest thing in the world. And then something dawns on him. And he goes, you're kidding me, the Lord told you that? He said, yeah, the Lord told me to tell you, you swallowed a frog. Is there any relevance to that? He said, you would not believe it. God's dealing with me on something in my life, and that's an application to what I said. He said, you must be a prophet from the Lord. Swallowed a frog, craziest thing in the world. Now, you better know that God is telling you that, or people will think you're crazy. <laughs> One day... Um, and it was probably back dur during when we were doing the multi-site, try trying to figure out the multi-site thing here. I, I couldn't remember exactly when it was, but my wife and I were in another city, and we were in a hotel. I remember the hotel it was. I, I remember the picture of it and everything. My wife was at the food bar, and I was sitting at a table just kind of reading. And, um, and this lady came up to me. She said, you don't know me. She said, I don't know if you believe in this stuff. But she said, God told me to give you this. And so she gave me a piece of paper, folded up. She walked away. I never saw her again in my life. Never. Couldn't, couldn't tell you to this day what she looked like. I unfolded the piece of paper. And what was written on that piece of paper was a clear answer to something that we were struggling with in our church. It was unbelievable. It was absolutely. I, I looked around to try to find her, and she was gone. It was almost like an angel. I'm not saying she was an angel. I think she was just somebody that was open to God using her in the prophetic gift and administered it in a powerful, I could go on and on and on with things like that that have happened. So here's my question. Okay, so that happened with the angel of the Lord and Gideon. It happened with Jesus and um, Peter. It happened with Paul and Timothy. Apparently, it's supposed to still happen today. It happened with my pastor friend. It's happened to me. Could it happen to you? Could God use you in that way? Could it be that God would want to use you to lovingly build up the body? Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody at work. Or maybe it's somebody just random somewhere that you're praying and saying, God, use me to build up other people. Is it possible? Is it possible? It's only possible if you follow through on 1 Corinthians 14.1, which says, eagerly, say eagerly together, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I've already gone too long, but I want to give you five takeaways real fast. I'll just list them. Five things to do with this message when you go home. Number one, study spiritual gifts. Study spiritual gifts. I can't teach you everything about it. In fact, this church is a self-feeding church. Would you agree with that? We are, we are adults here. Some of us are brand new in the Lord. We love feeding you. Others of you are grown up. It's really weird when you hop into our laps and say, feed me. It's just, you know, it's not how it works. 
This is a self-feeding church. You say, well, how do I find out about spiritual gifts? Google. You have more access to knowledge than anybody from the foundations of the world. Eagerly desire. Go look it up. Let me tell you some other things. I got four or five books there on your outline sheet. They come at it from various angles. The Beauty of Spiritual Language by Jack Hayford. Great book. Our Miraculous Gifts for Today. Wayne Grudem, more from a student's point of view. Uh, the God I Never Knew, Robert Morris, who uh, spoke for us a few weeks ago uh, on The Blessed Life. Great book. Uh, Forgotten God, radical book, Francis Chan. Uh, Wild Goose Chase, Mark Batterson, uh, one of my friends. Just good books. All right. Secondly, um, go to Inside Track. Go to Inside Track. There was an announcement here probably in most of our campuses. Next weekend will be Inside Track for, um, it's kind of an orientation to our church. And one of the weeks in Inside Track, we teach about spiritual gifts and how to use them and, uh, in, in, our, in our lives and in our church. How many of you have never been to Inside Track? Just raise your hand real quick. Wow, this ought to be a really big group next week, okay? All right, so go to, go to Inside Track. All right, number three, pray and ask God to use you. Pray and ask God to use you. In fact, when it says eagerly desire, the word there could be translated in hot pursuit of. You want to know God's will. Get in hot pursuit of spiritual gifts so you can build up the body of Christ, the people around you, and do the work that God has called you to do. You should not have a neutral attitude towards spiritual gifts. You may be withholding God's best from somebody else. Another uh, way to kind of experiment with that and pray is we have life retreats from time to time. And in the life retreat, we always have a session where we pray for the release of spiritual gifts, okay? Number four, experiment. Experiment, okay? There's nothing wrong with experiment. Let me tell you, one story will destroy your, your view of your pastor, but it's okay. Uh, a few years ago, before I, we moved here to Charleston, uh, I was in Illinois, and uh, I, I think I was flying to Charlotte or something. I was in the Charlotte airport, I think is where it was. And uh, it was back before the 9-11 days, so things were a little bit different in the airport. airport. And, uh, and, th and there was a lady in the terminal. I was kind of late getting off, went in the bathroom, whatever, and the hall was kind of cleared, and there was a, a lady, an Asian lady, that was just disraught. I could tell she had no idea where she was or what was going on, and I thought, well, I'm going to go help her. And so I went over, and I asked her if I could help her, and she looked at me. She had no idea, could not understand a word that I said. So I thought, Lord, what do I do? And he said, help her. I said, well, I'm trying. I don't know what to do. Well, try harder. So I thought, what could I do? And I thought of Pentecost Sunday. And I thought, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. I have experience speaking in tongues. I can do this. And so what I did was I went over to her, and I kind of got her aside where nobody could see. I said, listen to me. And I started speaking in tongues. Nothing. A little bit more. Nothing. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll use Asian car names. You know, Toyota, Hyundai, Honda, whatever. Nothing. And so this is true. So I said, maybe I'll use Asian cities. Tokyo, <laughs> Shanghai, Seoul. When I said Seoul, she lit up. Seoul, 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 Korea. Well, I had just been to Seoul, Korea not very long ago. And there's this huge church there and, and uh, met the pastor and all this kind of stuff. Biggest church in the world, about a million people that go. And, and so he was you know, very well known, and so I began to say his name, and she kind of lit up, and I thought, what can I do with this, God? We've got a name. What do we do? 
And, uh, and I remembered that I knew a Korean doctor. And so I called my office in Illinois. I said, look up this Korean doctor. Give me a name. A few minutes later, gave me the name. I hooked him up, found out that this lady was a poor lady that was coming to visit her family, got off at the wrong airport, lost as a goose, okay? And the Lord used my, did he use the way I thought he would? No, that was just kind of funny part of the story. But he used, he used me to build her up and to just experiment. No harm, no foul, right? Experiment at prayer times in your group. You know, when you have a small group, rather than just, you know, holding hands at the end and everybody praying, squeezing, and going amen, why not at the squeeze go, anybody getting anything from God here? There may be nothing, but somebody might have just an encouraging word for the group or for somebody. And you say, what if I get it wrong? You know, I've read the Old Testament that there are only two kind of prophets, good ones and dead ones, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> And I don't want to get that wrong. Well, it's different than the New Testament. You're expected to screw up a little bit. It does not, in the Old Testament, prophecy raised to the level of the divine word of God. In fact, we've got Joel. We've got various prophets. New Testament isn't. Somebody says, thus saith the Lord, it might be or it might not be. Don't worry about it. Test it out. And who knows? Who knows? Sometimes, you won't always get it right, but when you do, it's incredible. And then the fifth thing, always do it in love. It's not about you. It's about God building others up. The best gifts are the ones that are needed at the time. Spiritual gifts are tools, not toys. Don't let people who have abused the gifts keep you from experiencing God's best, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the celebration of the birth of the church. Thank you for scripture. God, thank you for love. Now, God, I just pray that you would apply what we've taught, there's been so much that you would apply it to our lives in the way that you desire on this day. God, I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. I pray that there'd be an openness to whatever you want to do within us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.